If you would, this morning, take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, this morning. You may recall this even from your Sunday school lesson. We are endeavoring uh, right now in a sermon series entitled Core Values, Discovering the Building Blocks of a Healthy Church. And so far we have seen the value of biblical faithfulness, God-honoring worship, uh, expositional preaching, And this morning, we're going to see family-focused ministry, family-focused ministry. Each one of these values is hopefully going to be placed on a document and voted on by our church as uh, to kind of go along with not only what we believe, we we have a statement of faith, but these are things that identify us, that we value, things that we are willing to fight for. And so this morning will be no different as we look now at what the Bible says about family ministry. And so my hope is, is that today's sermon, where I feel like the last three weeks you have, you've heard me talk about these things, but I hope, and this morning I think you've heard me talk about this too in the last three years, but, but this morning will hopefully not only be one more building block for our church, one more value for us to, to grab a hold of, but This will be the beginning of many sermons and many teaching in the coming years as we are seeking to be a healthy church. And so I want us to begin this morning, Deuteronomy chapter 6, and let's begin here in verse 1. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it. So that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all statutes and commandments which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it that that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And I want us to look at these next few verses and we'll keep on reading here. He says, Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of all good things which you did not feel, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied. Then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. And may God bless this morning the, the reading and the preaching of his word. We, we find ourselves this morning in the book of Deuteronomy. It is, it is the second giving of the law. It's not, a, it's not a, the giving of a new law. It is actually the, the giving of the law that we, that, that we get from Exodus and Leviticus. But, but a generation of individuals have died off. The, the ones who refused to go into the promised land and take the land 
now have died off as they have walked around the wilderness for, for 40 years. And so now this new generation is about to go in. And so Moses is now representing the law. But not only that, Moses is now expounding the law. He's giving an expositional sermon on the law to this generation. And so he is preparing them to go into the promised land. And he reminds them of the covenant that they have with God. To stress the importance of, notice there in verse 12, not forgetting the God. Not, not forgetting the Lord who brought you from the house, from the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. To, to not go into this promised land and pursue pagan idols. And so in chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, it is considered to be one of the most important passages in all of Judaism. It eventually becomes this, this prayer of the Jews. It's what's called the Shema. And we in America may call it Shema, but they call it the Shema, which means to hear. That, that first word, word there in verse 4, hear, O Israel, pay attention to what I am saying. So you could tell this is a, a, you know, a, 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 a passionate plea. Listen to what I am saying. And so they would develop this into a prayer. And so it would be a summary of God's law and command to worship Him and Him alone. And so they would pray this for the average Jew once a day, for the more devout Jews several times a day. Now for you and I, you may re- recall this less from the Old Testament and more from the New Testament. As we saw in the Sunday school class this morning. And there in Mark chapter 12, where Jesus is asked the question of what is the greatest command or which is the greatest commandment. And he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And so Jesus refers back to the Shema. And by doing this, Christ himself is acknowledging the worship of the Lord God as most important. And that complete and utter devotion to him should be our proper response. And that is the reason for the law. The law is given for us to express our faith and our worship of of God. And so when you and I come this morning now to Deuteronomy 6, we we are presented here with an important piece of Scripture. I I need you to understand that. I need you to embrace that. That that, that we are looking here at what was considered by the Jews and by Christ to be a very important piece of Scripture. And what I find very interesting about this text is what is most of the time left out. What is most of the time ignored, which is the obvious responsibility placed upon families. Not the church, not the nation, because that's what we want to do, right? We want to talk about how how the nation has walked away from God. We want to talk about how the church has failed people, but you don't find that here. You, You find... The command to worship God and God alone, to love Him with all that you are, is specifically placed upon the family, and most importantly, the father of the family, the husband, the man of the house, and the wife and mother. Something that Moses will stress Twice throughout the book of Deuteronomy. And for the sake of time, I will not read. But in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 39 and verse 40, he will say again, For them to pass this down to your sons. 
Chapter 11, verse 18, 21. Impress this upon your heart and upon your mind and impress this upon your children's heart and mind. And so therefore I come to you this morning and I present to you, beloved, that, that family matters to God. Families matter to God. The faith and the worship that takes place in your household, the, the, the faith and the testimony of all that God has done in your life, in your salvation, the, the evangelism and the discipleship that is to take place in a household, it matters to God. What happens in your household is important to Him and thus must be important to the church. And to even affirm this this morning and to back this up before we begin to just dive in, let me just give you from from one end to the other, just a few verses. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, we see the creation of the family with the very first marriage and the command for them to bear children, to multiply greatly. So marriage, family becomes the very first institution by which God himself ordains that he creates. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, we find there that the honoring of the father and the mother It's the fifth of the Ten Commandments that is given. So it's number five on the list of most important things you need to do in the law. Honor your father, honor your mother. Psalms chapter 132, verse 12, along with what we've already seen here in Deuteronomy, affirms the importance of what we will look at this morning as multi-generational faithfulness. The passing of your faith down to your children. Proverbs 17, verse 6. Grandparents, don't think that you, that you're done, right? Once you, once you got those grandbabies, you know, those kids and they marry, you, you get to bring them home, spoil them and send them back, right? Good. Nobody said amen. All right, good. You have a responsibility. Proverbs 17, 6 shows us the glory of grandchildren and the glory of grandparents. And then Mark 10, verse 14, Jesus himself condemns anyone who would hinder a child from coming to Christ. Parents, that falls on you as well. All right? That, parents, that, that should scare you. God himself said, you hinder that child from coming to me. Great condemnation will fall upon you. Ephesians 5 and 6, the Apostle Paul uses the family to illustrate the glory of the gospel. Of all illustrations, of all comparisons, of all things that he could have done, Paul says, there is nothing like the family, the marriage, the parents, children, that that illustrates the glory of God's gospel. And so from beginning to end, old and new, we find here that, the, that, that family, that a great value is placed upon the family and that it matters to the Lord. And so our faith in Christ, beloved, is expressed and, may I say, tested within the household, within the family dynamic more than any other dynamic in your life, more than any other area, more than the workplace, more than the marketplace, more, right here within your house, this is the greatest battleground for your faith. Whether it's marriage, whether it's raising children, whether it's loving your your brother, your sister, your siblings, your grandparents, all, all of this. And it is a travesty that the church of Jesus Christ would not prioritize the value of family, uh, the value of spiritual development within the household. Now you may say, Brother Brian, that the church does not, you know, does not, you know, does not ignore this. You know, we got youth ministries and children's ministries. We do all that. No, beloved, the church does. And I'm going to explain that to you in just a moment. But this rocked me back in 2008. 
It, it, it seems that, that the lowest priority in the evangelical church is the family ministry. And by that, and I'm going to get to this in a minute, the ministry that is taking place within the home. And this was affirmed to me in 2008 when I bought a book. It shocked me to the core. The title of the book was called Unchristian. And it was, it was called Unchristian, What a New Generation Really Thinks About Christianity and Why It Matters. Now, the overall book was, uh, 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 was put together by who is now the, the head of the Barna Group. Um, I think his name is David Kinman. Uh, he is the head of the Barna Group, which is a Christian research organization. They, they do surveys and polls and put all the research together, and they basically tell us what's going on in the world. And so same thing was happening here. And so in 2008, this book came out, 2007, 2008, this book came out. And the whole point of the purpose of the book was, was to show the church how hypocritical they were, that what the lost world thought about us, that, that what we were, that what we were preaching, we weren't doing. And so therefore we came off as unchristian to the lost and dying world. Well, here's on page 50, a survey, uh, the findings of a survey were placed on there. And it was this one page that really has rocked me and has never left me even to this day. And so here's the question that was asked. The question was asked, what would you say are the two or three most important priorities for the Christian to pursue in terms of their faith. What is the most important thing that you, the Christian, should be doing? Okay? You, church, should be prioritizing. So, so here's the findings of it, okay? Number one, 37% answered lifestyle. Doing the right thing. Being good. Not sinning. Okay? That, that's important. And we know. Be faithful. Be obedient to the word. So, so 37%. All right? 31%. And number two was discipleship. Learning about Christ. Learning about the Bible. 31%. Evangelism and worship tied for third at 25%. So evangelism, sharing your faith, leading people to salvation, worshiping God, and singing. This tied for third. This is the, these are the top three priorities for a Christian. Then you see number four, relationships, loving others, making and keeping friends at 23%. Service, helping others, helping the poor, serving people at 18%. And then stewardship, giving your money, your time, and your resources. That dropped way down below to 4%. And then there at the very end, with a whopping 1%. Family faith. Parents discipling their children and shaping their faith. One percent. Because it's not a priority to Christians because the church will do it. And yet we find here in what was considered to be one of the greatest passages in the Old Testament and one of the greatest commandments, it was quoted by Christ himself, has within it the priority of mom and dad shaping the faith of their children. And we have now said it is the lowest of all things for us as Christians. I don't even think the author realized what he stumbled upon. Because from that point on, they never ever come back to this point. 
The greatest hypocrisy, beloved, and the greatest unchristian trait of the, of the church today is not Christians being imperfect because we know the gospel tells us we are imperfect and that we are sinners and that's why we need Jesus. The greatest, the greatest hypocrisy and the greatest unchristian trait today of the church is ignoring what the Bible says is our responsibility as fathers and mothers and husbands and wives and as children. Not expressing our faith and not passing our faith down to the next generation. That is the most unchristian thing we've got. And so you see from Genesis to Revelation that God is serious about the family. I, I know we want to talk about how God, how the schools have taken, they've taken prayer out of the schools. And yet many of us don't even pray with our kids. But, but the schools, yeah. We, we want to talk about how the church is failing because the youth ministry is not big enough and the children's ministries are not big enough. But God's Word does not look to the school. It does not look to the church to shape the faith of your household but instead to you. And so FEC families matter to God. The the worship of God, the cultivation of our faith within our home is important to Him. And so therefore, it must be important to us as a church. We, We must have a biblical view of what it means to do family ministry. And so Deuteronomy chapter 6, here I want to propose and to answer three questions that, will, that are going to basically kickstart off for you and I family ministry. And this is something that, that, that I am willing to fight for. That, 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 that something that I'm struggling with myself as having four children and having a wife myself. That, that, that I am trying. to. We all are in this battle together. And so, and so this is hopefully going to be the, the, the starting off point for us of what does God say about the ministering of our children, about our teenagers, our grandchildren. What does God say about grandparents and moms and dads? What does God say about all that? And so we can't cover all of that this morning. So this morning is just a summary of the value that we as a church and you as members of the church must have. So, so three things that I want you to see. I want you to see the what. What is family-focused ministry? Why we, should, uh, why we should have family-focused ministry? And how do we carry out family-focused ministry, okay? So let's begin this morning with the what. What, what do we mean by family focus? What, what is this? Are, are we James Dobson here? What are we talking about? Well, look with me here in verses 1 and 3. One, one, two, and 3. Actually, let's just look at verse 2 verse. He says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments, which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God, to keep all the statutes and his commandments which I commanded you all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. So what is Moses calling the families to do? 
Before you get to the Shema, before you get to to verses 4 through 9, when he tells us to do all these different things, you've got to find it within the context of why he is giving this. So what is Moses calling the family to do? Well, the answer is to obey the statutes and the judgments the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you. Well, what did Moses teach? You have to go back to chapter 1 through chapter 5 to get to chapter 6. So, so what, what took place in those first five chapters? Well, in chapters 1 through 4, Moses reiterates, he summarizes what God has done to make them his people. He, he goes back and he teaches them the history of God rescuing them out of Egypt and then God making a covenant with them. And then in chapter 5, he gives them the Ten Commandments where he reiterates their, their response to God's salvation of them. God, their response to God's grace. This is the law of God, so you are to express your worship and love of me and, and keeping the law. And so chapters 1 through 4, he goes over the history of their, of their redemption and their covenant. Chapter 5, their response. Moses is reiterating their faith. And so there in verse 2, he says something that is often overlooked. That you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God. So this is not just for you. This is for those who come after you. Your children and your children's children and their children. Notice that he says that all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. This is covenant terminology here. The, the, this, listen, I know you parents, you love that idea that if you obey your mom and dad, you'll have a long life. And you look at your kids and you go, that just could means I won't kill you, right? You're, you're God, you don't obey me, God's going to take you out early. That's not what this is. By prolong, he, what is the whole covenant about? I have this promised land for you. It is your land. It will be your children's land. It will be your children's children's land. But you must be faithful unto me, your God. This is yours. I will give it to you and you will keep it. And you will be prolonged in it. But it will require even your children and those that come after them, the following generations, to know me and the covenant. And so the meaning here is is that the covenant was to be taught and learned. And so therefore, there's like faithfulness to God is not meant just for the present generation, but all generations, which meant that mom and dad were to teach God as one, to love God with all your heart and soul, with all your mind, to their children. Now, I know this is, this is Old Testament, and we are not under the covenant of works. But please understand that the institution of family began in Genesis, and we see it all throughout the Bible, even in the New Testament, and even where Paul in Ephesians 5 and 6 relates it to the gospel. And so the responsibility is still in place. So when we talk about today family-focused ministry or family-focused discipleship, we are referring to exactly what Moses is referring to here in the Shema, that we are referring to a family not only practicing their faith at home, but teaching their faith and passing it on to the generations that would come after them. That each family is focused on the ministry God has called them to. And nine times out of ten, we talk about family-focused ministry or things, we think of the church itself doing the ministry. But here, what I'm saying to you is the church must value what the Bible says about family ministry and that the church must look to the families to be the primary teacher of God and the gospel to their children.
Israel taught redemption from physical slavery and a covenant of works. You and I teach the gospel of Jesus Christ who saves us from our sins and sets us free. We evangelize our children in our home. We tell our children of the great God who gave his life for us because our children are sinful. We don't tell our children that they're perfect and they never do anything wrong. We don't tell our children that, 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 that they're above everyone else. We tell our children that just like their mom and dad and just like everyone else, that their children, that our children are sinful and in need of a Savior, just like you were in need of a Savior or maybe are in need of a Savior this morning because of your sins and that God, by his great grace and mercy, sent Jesus Christ who lived perfectly, who did what you could not do and what your children could not do, and then died on a cross rising from the grave, bringing salvation to all who repent and believe in Christ. We teach that in our homes. That's what Moses is saying here. You must evangelize your children. But not only that, he even talks about discipling your children. Because Israel taught the expectation of obedience to the law. So chapter 5, he's giving them the law. This is what you were supposed to do. So Christian obedience for us is not based on law, but on grace. That by God's grace we've been saved. And by God's grace, through his sanctification of the Holy Spirit, we are able to live according to the law. We're able to obey the law now. And so we are to live according to the law as the Spirit is sanctifying us and making us into the image of Christ. This is discipleship. We are discipling our children. We are teaching our children within our home to know theology. I know we think that this is the work of the church, but it's not. The church is the partner in this, but it has always been mom and dad who were given the responsibility to teach them there is but one God. There are no others. We teach our children, we disciple our children in theology. You are to disciple your children in marriage. Because we all know that when we were married, I just remember going, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know. Ms. Kim's laughing at me, but I don't, I didn't know. And moms and dads are to teach their children what marriage is, what God expects, and how to be a husband, how to be a wife. Parenting, we're to teach our children how to parent. You say, I didn't do it right, Brother Brian. Hey, that's the beauty of all this. You can teach your children what you didn't do right. You can say to your kids, I didn't do this well with you. And by God's grace, he's forgiven me. I hope you've forgiven me. But here's what I've learned in parenting you, you sinful child. Here's what the Bible says. We teach our children to be workers and how to, how to act in the workforce and how to act in the, you know, in the community. We teach our children, by the way, how to be church members. We disciple them on what it means to be a member of a church. That you're to be faithful to the church. So, beloved, this is, this is a ministry. My question would be, is this ministry taking place in your household? Are you evangelizing those who are unsaved or discipling the believers in your household? And I don't have time to go into all this, but, but men, this falls squarely on your shoulders. Family-focused ministry is you being intentional, having an intentional effort to be the mom, the Christian dad, the Christian mom that God has called you to be rather than looking to the church to do it for you. And the church 
being intentional in walking alongside you, equipping you, we'll get to that in a moment, equipping you and helping you in your family as we are all a faith family. So that's what we mean. And that's exactly what Moses is calling them out to do right here. Evangelize your children. Disciple your children. But secondly, I want you to see why now. Look look at verse 4, 5 and verses 10, 11, and 12. He says, Hear, O Israel, passionate plea. Listen, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So, So here we find he is making a clear, he is making a clear passionate plea. Israel, there is but one God, okay? Don't, don't forget this God, love this God. But then notice, notice what he said there in, verses, um, in verse 12. Then watch yourself. We'll just do verse 12 for the time's sake. He says, watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. You see, the Israelites were about to cross over into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. But it was not a land without temptation. It was not a land without temptation. Moses rightly feared that the people would get over there and they would get settled in their, in their, how, in their life of ease. It would get easy. It would be good. And they would, get, they would get complacent and they would forget the God who had saved them and the God who had sanctified them and the God who brought them in and they wouldn't tell their children, right? And so he makes a passionate plea. Listen to what I'm telling you. You better worship God and God alone and you better pass it to your children or you're going to forget. Well, guess what happened? In Judges chapter 2, verse 10 and 12, listen to this. All that generation also were gathered to their fathers. In other words, they died. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which which he had done for Israel. The sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals, and they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them. They did not teach their children. And because they did not teach their children, their children forgot the one who had saved them from from Egypt. And they did evil inside of the Lord. Beloved, the reason that our church must value family focus of discipleship and ministry is the generations to come. To I want my kids to know Christ. I want my kids to know Christ. But my call is to go further than I want my grandkids to know Christ. And I want my great-grandkids to know Christ. And listen, you say, well, we can't think in those kind of terms. Yes, we can, because God did. Because what do you get when you get to Matthew and Luke and you get a what? A lineage. A lineage that Christ was in. God always thought in generations to come. And so he calls us as well to consider the generations that are to come. That they may, this multi-generational faithfulness, that, that the generations to come will be faithful to the God who has saved me and sanctified me as well. That, that my grandkids and great-grandkids will know the God that I know today. And so therefore, the ministry efforts in our home is intended to far outreach just present day We don't want our grandchildren and our children to live in a world where the gospel is foreign to them. 
And yet what we are finding is this is exactly what has happened. When studies have been done to find that 75% of, church, of active teenagers in the church after their first year in college will no longer come to church. They will forsake the faith never to come back. The previous generations did this. They forsook the faith but had kids then came back. The new generations don't do that. 75% of active teenagers in the church will not come back. Listen, that's three out of four kids here today that when they're in college after their first year, they will never come back. I have four kids. I can't imagine that thought. Three of them never turning to Christ. The greatest percentage of religious affiliation today is the nuns, not Catholic nuns, but those who have no affiliation. They want nothing to do with religion. And they want nothing to do with spirituality or faith. Family-focused ministry, beloved, is done that you and I are looking to the future generations We're looking to what God has called us to do. That the greatest ministry is not overseas. The greatest ministry that you have, and it's been placed upon everyone in this church, is behind your four walls at home. And we must not look to the church to substitute that out. Because the church only gets 1% of your child's time their entire life here at church. You get the highest priority of time. And so therefore, as a church, we don't promote youth and children's programs that should take the place of what God has called you to do, but we promote the biblical responsibility upon the the family, and the church should seek to equip and to walk alongside as you are seeking to pass your faith down to your children. How? Where's the application of this, Brother Ron? How how is family-focused ministry carried out? Look at verse 6 and 9. He says, These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons. You shall talk to them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by, uh, by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. He lays it out for us. Moses makes it very clear that if the future generation is to be faithful unto God, and they are to stay in the promised land and not forget God, then the word of God has to saturate the family household. The the word of God has to saturate the home. So so notice verse 6. He says it must be upon your heart. The word must be on your heart. The heart is the very center of the person. Meaning the word of God must be at the very center of you, father, you, mother, you, grandparent. It must be the center of all of us. It must be on our heart. Now, what does this mean? Does this mean I'm just prioritizing the word? Yes, it does. But we understand that as the Old Testament plays out, 
all this talking about the word on your heart and a new heart and all this stuff plays out in Christ. That Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 25 through 27, God will tell them that he will make a new covenant with them. One where he removes the heart of stone and gives them a heart of flesh. And so in other words, through Christ, through his salvation, through his work on the cross of Calvary, he is going to take the law. He's going to take his spirit and put it on our heart. So to truly carry out family-focused ministry, mom and dad, truly to carry out pastor, truly to carry, carry out grandparent, truly to carry out church, we must know Christ ourselves. We must know him ourselves. We must have come to Christ in repentance and faith. Called out to him to forgive us of our sins. To make us new. That we may be, that we may be a new creation as a husband and a new creation as a father. And so I ask all parents and grandparents here this morning. Do you know Christ? Are you a believer? Do you have the evidence of being a believer? Or are you trying to pass something down that you yourself do not have? And Moses is saying, that's not going to work. If this is going to work, you must know Christ yourself. And not only that, you must also, if you do know Christ, you must also faithfully live out your faith. Because it's one thing for children to look at you and say, I hear what you're saying, but I don't see it in you. They're, they're, not, they're not dumb. They, they catch us all the time. They, 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 they catch us and they see. And that's a really good time, by the way, for you, by the way, for those of you who say, you know what, I haven't been very good and I don't know what to do about it, can I just share something with you? This is a really good time for them to see the Word of God on your heart, to see what God has done in your heart, that you repent of your sins before them. That they see your repentance. They see your brokenness over your sin. That's good for our kids to see. They don't need to see you always making excuses, but for you to come to, come to Christ and, tell, and come to them and say, listen, I have not been very good at this. And I have asked the Lord for his forgiveness and his mercy, and I'm asking you for your forgiveness and mercy. But secondly, I would say, or Moses says here, the word must also be taught, verse 7 and 8. Notice what he says here. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you're walking by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. There's not a time in the day that you don't talk about the Word of God and the gospel with your children. The responsibility is placed upon, not again, on the church, but on parents, that God will not hold the church responsible for this, but the parents. And so therefore, parents and grandparents are to seek to tell the Word, to saturate their children with the Word of God. Publicly reading the Word at home. If all you can do is just sit at the table and read the Bible, do it. We believe the Word has power. Teaching the Word to our children. You say, I don't know what to teach them. Catechisms, they're in your bulletin. Ask us, we'll get you the stuff. Catechisms are wonderful to teach. There's just a question and answer. You say, I don't know. Then you learn it the night before. Just learn it the night before and then tell it to your kids the next day. 
this is what I learned. This is what the Bible is teaching about the God who has saved me and the God that I'm praying will save you. Talk and discuss the word throughout the day. Have discussions. I love it when my kids come with, with questions. Now, I don't always love it when I can't answer them. Those boogers are smart sometimes, and they got some really good questions. But discuss the word with them. At the end of the day, beloved, if all we've ever taught our children is how to play a, 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 a recreational game, how to have good grades, but we have not saturated their hearts and minds with the word of God, then we have failed. And we risk losing them. We risk them forgetting the God that we know ourselves. And then he says, the word must be faithfully obeyed. Look at verse 9 and 10. You shall write them on the, or verse 8 and 10, I'm sorry. You, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and you shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Here we find the word must be faithfully obeyed. It's, it's, it's a priority so much. It's all consuming of your life. They took this quite literally. Jesus, I mean, God is saying, make this, make this, saturate your life with it and be faithful to obey it. But they took it where they would take scripture and write on scrolls and they would put in little boxes around their heads and around their wrist to remind them of what the word is and what it says. They would have it on their doorpost that when they walked out of their house, they would see it as a reminder that as you leave this house, you must be faithful to the word. And then when they came back into the house, they saw it and it was a reminder that when you walk into this house, you are to be faithful to obey the scriptures. Our children, those in our household, they need to see the faithfulness that we have. They need to see your faithfulness and my faithfulness to worship God every Sunday. If the word says that church is important, then we are faithful to come and to worship. They need to see your faithfulness to obey the scriptures even outside the home. To do what it says. They need to see your faithfulness to love God without rivals. To not love something else more than God that you are willing to forsake the worship and the expression of faith. And they need to see you look to the scriptures rather than the world for answers. They need to see that you believe in this word. They need to wake up in the morning and you have the Bible in your hand. And they need to go to bed at night. You going through the pages looking for the answers. Maybe you say, but what about the church? And for time's sake, we don't have much here, but what is the church supposed to do? Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Our local church, our faith family is to work to equip the saints, to equip every Christian household. You join this church. We value you and your family. We care what is happening at the dinner table of your family. And so we want to equip you to do the work of ministry, to do, to do the work of ministry within your church, within your household, to build up the body of Christ. Because here's something, church, you need to gather. And I didn't say this earlier. I'll say it now. The future church is not dependent upon what happens in this building. Multi-generational faithfulness. The future church is not dependent upon how great the youth ministry and children's ministry programs are, how great the preaching is today. The future church of tomorrow relies on what happens in the household. And so if we expect to have a church here, a physical church here, 
then we, the church, must be serious about what happens in the house. And so therefore, we call upon the family not to do it perfectly. You're not going to be perfect in this, but to at least be intentional in saturating your household with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must embrace the words of Charles Spurgeon. Let no Christian parent fall into the delusion that Sunday school is intended to ease them from their personal duties. The church equips parents to know the word, to teach the word, and partner with the family to help them teach the word here when their kids are here. As parents, our job is to fight for those in the household. As I saw in an in interview in Florida, in local news station, I found this amazing, a little boy swimming in the pond behind. And the story went that, that, he, that, that there was another critter in the, in the pond and it was a gator and gator grabs him by the leg and, but he was there by the shore and apparently this, this, uh, this mother grabs him and with the mother's love and I mean she held on to him until a neighbor came and helped but, but, the, but that wasn't what was interesting what was interesting was the news reporter and so there was this tug of war going on and so the, the boy's leg scarred up but when the news reporter asked, his, asked the, the boy he says can I see the scars the boy did not show the scars on his legs he rolled up his sleeve and he said, do you see the scars of my mom? She dug her nails in and she fought for dear life. She fought for my life. FBC, there is a tug of war for the hearts and the minds of our children. And moms and dads hear me this morning. We need to dig in on our kids. And we need to fight. And we, the church, are here to help you with that. We're not to ignore you and that we are here to help you. And so I call upon you this morning that if you have ignored your responsibility as a father or mother, that you would repent and seek the Lord's grace and strength in this endeavor. Repent to him. Repent before him. Go before your family and repent. Call upon Christ to forgive you and then get up and then lead your family. Pass your faith down. Evangelize, disciple your children. Or maybe this morning you've been doing that and you're tired and the battle is long. Find strength and mercy in Christ. And may I say to you, find strength and mercy in the church as well. Come to the church. Go to moms and dads who are fighting the same battles that you are fighting and, and, and pray with them and, and weep with them over what is taking place. And I would call upon grandparents this morning. Listen, I know there's this idea that once your kids are gone, you get to just endure. You get to fill them full of sugar and send them home. But beloved, you have far greater responsibility given to you. Help your children in their parenting and pour the gospel into your grandkids. Pour the gospel into them. And then I would say to the church as well, let us not ignore what God has called us to do, which is to equip and to hold accountable families as we seek together for the future generations of the faith family. Let's pray.